Grief Stories is not a crisis resource. Please seek support from a qualified professional in your area to meet your unique emotional and medical needs. You're listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard, a social worker with an interest in helping people find hope and healing when someone they love has died. In each episode, you'll hear a conversation with a guest sharing their story and insights about what can help when you're adapting to loss. At Grief Stories, we're helping grief make sense one story at a time. Today's guest is Selena Carter, a nurse and the Senior Research Associate at SE Research Center and one of the leads at the Reflection Room Project. Welcome to the Grief Stories podcast, Selena. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'd like to begin with asking you to explain a bit about the Reflection Room Project and tell us a little bit about how that project works. Mm. Um, So I thought a nice way would be to describe the very first Reflection Room. Uh, And this was in 2016 at the Hospice and Palliative Care Ontario Conference. So if you can imagine, there was um, a doorway and there was an entrance or a sign with an invitation to pause, reflect and share and go into the room and the lighting was soft and there was uh, dim, uh, soft music as well and some images of nature and maybe some, there was some, um, a red curtain on the wall and a red tablecloth. And you might go over to the wall and see some stories that have been posted, little notes called reflection cards. Um, and the invitation was to share about um, experiences of dying and death. And there would be some, uh, a, some couches or some chairs and it was a place where you could sit and um, read the cards or possibly write your own on um, using the stack of cards that were available on the table and it was a really a place to um, pause and reflect and connect through storytelling um, and I'll tell you a little bit about the reason this um, room came to existence in the first place was um, because of research from Dr. Paul Holyoke at the SE Health um, and his collaboration with Dr. Barry Stevenson from Memorial University. And what they did was they researched organizational level best practices um, that support high quality spiritual care at end of life. And they came to find that there were four really important principles to support spiritual health at end of life. And this would, these included allowing questions to emerge. So the importance of reflection to allow questions to come up. Um, Acts of witnessing. So being able to be seen and see others. Um, Cultivating sacred spaces. So quiet and peaceful spaces that allow for these things to happen and allowing time to mark transitions and processes. Um, And 
they were inspired by the work of Candy Chan, who um, is an installation artist who created a project called Before I Die. And this is, you've probably seen it. It's, um, I believe it's internationally done now. And it's usually creating a, um, a chalkboard that just has the invitation and before I die, dot, 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 and all these blank lines and let's say a bucket of chalk and you can um, share whatever you want. Um, so the first reflection room was really about mobilizing the knowledge that they gained from this spiritual health um, research project and created a, a room to try to see what it might be like in real life. And there was such um, an amazing response to the room that it's now become a reflection project um, that's been, it's actually in its third iteration at the moment. And I can speak a little bit about that later. Sure. Um, so I, I would like to say that I was at that conference and I actually participated in the reflection room project at that time. And I thought it was a beautiful idea. It was a, it was a, a wonderful space. It was peaceful. It was a real opportunity to take a moment and to uh, to read what other people had posted and to reflect on my own feelings and then to make a post myself. And I, I really um, found that all resonated in terms of my thoughts about, um, you know, self-care and, and, and grief and the, the impact of a space for reflection. Um, it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm so glad you got to, to experience it. Yeah. Seems to me that the principles of the reflection room are really reflected also in the, the work that we do at Grief Stories. The opportunity for people to share something, to reflect on the sharing of others, and to be uh, in a space where that's um, accepted, allowed, and encouraged. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and what's what's sort of interesting is the reflection room wasn't originally um, focused on grief. It was more aligned with um, the death awareness movement to encourage acceptance of talking about death and dying or dying and death. Um, but as the reflection room has evolved, we're now in our phase three of the project and it's explicitly now going into long-term care homes um, to address pandemic related grief. And what, as it's evolved, we've drawn on um, additional models, theoretical models to help us figure out why this might work. Um, and so we draw a lot on, um, I'm going to say their name wrong, Schechner's model on the benefits of storytelling and um, for bereaved family members. Uh, so there is this idea that Engaging in storytelling helps to um, support the disclosing of emotions. Um, it's called cognitive processing, but we could just say reflection. Um, and then there's also this something that happens um, through storytelling in the sharing and reading that supports social connections. Um, and we did think that coming on to your podcast would be helpful because it is so aligned with what this podcast does in and of itself. It's, it's almost like the reflection room is um, the art installation version um, of this podcast. 
beautiful and what a beautiful connection. And I think that, um, you know, the origin being reflection on end of life really resonates with me that it would naturally flow to grief too. Um, it's such a, a woven together process for people to reflect on end of life, end of life care, transitions, and then the resulting feelings that are associated with those experiences. And so it's kind of like this, um, almost an arc, but I wouldn't say that we flow from one end to the other. It's not a linear process, right? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in our, yeah. in our first, um, in our phase one analysis, we were, um, so we looked at what people actually write in the cards that they share and the, uh, um, the things that most people were reflecting on one, they were also sharing a lot about grief and love, which go together. Um, and so what, I'm not sure what we were expecting to find, but the focus on grief, um, I guess has been part of what we were anticipating. Um, but now that we look at it, as you say, of course, it's so interconnected. Um, but yeah, the reflections were so interesting in terms of um, people making meaning of the mystery of death, dying, and mortality. Um, a lot of people were reflecting on sort of wisdom that they that they took away from the experience. Um, lots of people, especially um, being in some healthcare facilities, there were some. Um, both professional caregivers, like clinicians and family caregivers. So a lot of people reflected um, on the pain, but also the joy of caregiving. Um, and there was a lot of focus um, on the, the fact that uh, death reminds you that relationships are central to being human. Uh, so we've learned, we've learned a ton from these these reflections. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that the opportunity for f- reflection really does allow people space to hold both the pain and the joy. And when we are not given that room for reflection, we tend to either try to push the pain away or we're absorbed in only the pain. And this this opportunity for reflection in a supported, encouraged way allows us to hold both Mm. and to move between pain and joy um, as one does in grief, as one does even when anticipating grief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. From, from our latest um, iteration in the, that's in the long-term care homes, um, the long-term care homes have been giving, been giving these kits that we've called them kits of um, basic reflection room materials and, Um, They've been able to set it up. The point is to be able to adapt to their spaces. So you can put it in um, a corner of the chapel. You can put it in um, a hallway, in the rec room, in a a quiet corner, in a solarium, in a walk-in closet. It's really been, um, you know, put in all sorts of different places um, in these long-term care homes across Ontario. Um, But what we've heard is that it's been particularly helpful for people who are less inclined to talk to people about their grief or their emotions. 
Um, and so it's this, it's an anonymous activity for the most part, unless somebody else is, is in the room already, but you can, it's completely unfacilitated. There's no expectation to engage in any sort of way. So you can enter the room, you can read the cards or not, you can write a card or not, you know, it's really flexible. And um, we've heard from some of the spiritual care providers who set up um, the different reflection rooms and different um, long-term care homes that they did, they became aware of some people who hadn't really wanted to speak to them about a, um, the loss of a friend or a partner, um, but they knew that the room, they were going to the room and they knew that they were um, engaging with it in some way. And so it, that sort of that open invitation without any expectation or anyone watching you or demanding anything from you seems to really resonate um, and work for some people that maybe other um, initiatives don't work for as well. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea that the Reflection Room Project makes it so accessible. Um, I do some work in therapeutic writing for grief and loss and um, offer some opportunities for people to explore ways to use writing to express themselves in ways that may not be easy to do out loud. Um, And that usually involves uh, coming to a class or, um, or, or joining a group or following a prompt worksheet or things like that, which are a bit more directive usually, although it's always invitational. There's always choice because choice is so important, right? But this opportunity to do this in anonymity and at their own pace in a space that's accessible to them without them having to be responsible for getting to the class or joining the group or following the worksheet, they can just show up if and as they're ready, is a really beautiful opportunity to do what we know, what what the research is telling us helps people process their feelings and experiences. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I think one thing that's really special about it, especially in this iteration of the long-term care homes, is that it's both an individual, um, it's initiative in a way, so let's call it an initiative. It's both for the individual, but it's also for the community. And there's been some um, comments left to us about how it's become this very special room for the community to come and see what other people are experiencing. Because I imagine what a structure the class might do is create some sense of that shared human experience of grief through that sharing and writing together. Um, and by being it's the reflection room is generally up for a minimum of a month. And, and then some homes have decided to keep it up indefinitely. And so you can go and you know that all the notes there are from your community. And so there's this, um, And of course, and it encompasses, you know, the huge spectrum of emotions that come with with grief and loss. Um, 
And so you can go and see and see these emotions that you are likely carrying yourself reflected um, in others that are that are around you. But also in a way that is lower personal stakes than joining a group and sharing about how you feel about writing and sharing your writing potentially as well. Um, it's it's lower stakes, which allows people to access it when they're less certain. Hmm. When they're um and and I would imagine that the ability to access it, I'm really thrilled to hear that there's some places that are going to keep it indefinitely because I feel like um, being able to access that on an ongoing basis might even give some people the confidence to to talk more openly as they see other people are sharing similar feelings and and um, thoughts and experiences. Um, they might be able to talk more openly than they might have before this project was part of their space. Yes, two things I'm thinking. One, um, the accessibility piece was so important, especially the way that this came about um, was there was a grief and bereavement um, long-term care table set up in Ontario. And there was a sense that the long-term care communities really needed some more support, but something that was very timely um, and feasible in a in a relatively quick way. And, and so somebody on this planning table had heard about the reflection room and thought this is a really um, powerful but accessible um, thing that might be helpful. We don't know, but there are some indications that make us think that it would be helpful. Um, and so we worked with um, the people it's being supported by the SE foundation and the family councils of Ontario. And the point that it was accessible was very important in terms of, um, it needs to be adaptable to each location that it goes into. So whatever, you know, and there's, there's long-term care homes that care for specific communities with specific beliefs. Um, and the, each community needs to be able to take sort of the bones of the reflection room and implement it in whatever way suits their understanding of grief and bereavement and end of life. Um, so that's been really important. And um, in phase one, we found that um, of the people who filled out surveys, um, we found that most, I believe it was close to 80% said that they are more comfortable talking about end of life after visiting the reflection room and that they were more likely to talk to their friends and family about it. Um, so that sort of goes back to its roots being a bit more in the death awareness movement of um, the first project was called moving from death denying to death acceptance. Um, so I think there's there's so many interesting things that it does in this space. And it's sort of a mystery because it's at its core, an unfacilitated art installation um, and how it does all these things is really, I guess, based on who comes in and how you engage with it. Um, but having it there is that invitation that is important. Mm -hmm. Because the invitation sort of normalizes the idea that A, we have these thoughts, feelings, and experiences, and B, 
we need a way and a space to process them. And, and we do that best in relationship. Mm, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, because you do when, well, I'd be curious when you entered, you are perhaps alone, but there, you do have this sense, or I had this sense that I was with others, even if no one is there with me. Mm-hmm. Did that happen for you? It did. And, you know, I went in more than once because I was curious about the project and there were there was a, a time when I was in there and there were other people and it, there was a time when I was in there alone. And it was um, it was an interesting experience because even alone, you are in community because you're reading the words of others, you know, are part of that community that you're in. Um, and the people that I was in the room with um, weren't really acknowledging one another. There was just some respectful space between us as we um, did our own work with the reflections in the way that made sense for people. Some were reading, some were writing, some were just sitting and and so forth. It was a bit of a busier time um, that one time. And so, so I think the experience of the room would be different in all the locations, like in, in every way that it would be set up differently, the experience would be potentially different, even though the elements, the principles remain the same. Um, and what I love about that is that it's built in diversity in mm. terms of, and, and in some ways kind of built in inclusiveness because it's allows it to adapt to who's ever setting it up and using that space. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, our director, Paul Holyoke, Dr. Paul Holyoke was saying it's the furthest you can get from a, a randomized controlled trial. It's not, um, it's not a standardized intervention that needs to be replicable and um, set in one way. It really is supposed to be, um, you know, there's these elements to it. So there is something about the stories on the wall that seem to be important. There um, is something about the invitation where there's blank cards for you um, to know that you can share your story and add it. Um, And there is something a lot of people have commented on the quiet peaceful place so even if it's a corner it doesn't need to be a room per se but there's something um quiet and a comfortable place to sit that is an invitation to reflect um yeah and people have have especially in this latest um iteration in long-term care homes people have reflected that it's um a deeply personal experience so your reflection that when you went in, people weren't really talking to each other per se. Um, people have said, or on their comments in, in the surveys they've left for us, they've indicated that it's both personal and that they really want to write something meaningful. And so it seems that people aren't rushing to to get a reflection in. And, and actually one of the reasons when I when we say, did you write a reflection? Only about half write a reflection and half don't who visit, at least the ones who complete a survey. Um, and most said that they want more time. They didn't have time. And we think that this is because from what others have shared is that um, there's something important to have that time to reflect and then write something that that means something 
listening to you about your experience with, we were asking about the pandemic, but um, what is it that you want to share with your community or, or get out for yourself? Um, and I should say there's no expectation to, to um, post the cards either. Uh, some people did indicate that they wrote one, but um, took it with them. Yeah. And I think that um, that resonates. It makes a lot of sense to me. That's why I like the idea of the indefinite installation, mm -hmm. because it gives people the opportunity to interact with the space over time and for the space to evolve, to be what the community needs it to be or desires it to be. And it, it also, I'm sort of, as we're speaking, reflecting on the fact that when I work with families who have lost a loved one, I often will suggest that they designate some space in the house to the memory of that person in a similar kind of way. Um, however, the space looks, whether there's a picture or a candle or some memento or some symbolic imagery, or it's a space that was, uh, you know, important to the person when they were here uh, physically, that they have the opportunity to interact with that space as they need to over time. And it holds a space for the presence of the person, just like the reflection room holds space for the presence of grief, for the presence of these thoughts and feelings. And when you have time to interact with that, like you said, people were finding sometimes they needed more time before they were ready to write something that was meaningful. Our brains don't always work quickly with mm. this material, right? And uh, so I, I think there's so much merit in, in having that on an ongoing basis available because really I think that the process of grieving a person who has died is a, a process of adjustment. Mm. And so it's an adjustment to how do we love this person when we don't have their physical presence to love them the ways we're used to. And so to me, that, that need for additional time is a reflection of the process of adjustment. Yeah, I was thinking from, from your um, comment about mementos, I was thinking about how um, part of our data collection is asking um, the representative to send the cards back to us. Um, and we've realized that most don't want to, which makes sense. They just want to copy them and then put them back on the wall. Because to your point, they sort of become, um, they, they do belong to the community and they do maybe, I kept calling them artifacts of, of what has happened over the pandemic. Um, yeah, particularly, you know, staff being able to share um, their grief about the loss of um, residents, but also just the challenges of the pandemic related losses of, um, you know, the burden, um, wearing, adjusting to wearing PPE, um, feeling overworked, but under able to um, provide the care that you want. Um, now family caregivers can enter long-term care homes in Ontario, but as you know, many couldn't for a really long time. And, and a lot of caregivers have shared um, what it means to be back together and visiting. Um, so yeah, sort of this, I'm curious how, 
uh, it will evolve as the sort of this is focused more on the pandemic, but also as we talk about the losses for the pandemic and and hopefully, you know, move post pandemic at some point. Um, what else will be shared and um, how might it change focus perhaps as it, you know, we, what we like about the reflection room is, is continuously adapting to, to what comes um, for ourselves, but also sort of more um, societally um, what's happening and what are we responding to? Mm -hmm. And I think that that evolution is um, part of, you know, uh, what makes storytelling and um, connecting over story so healing is that it has the opportunity to evolve. It has the opportunity to adapt or to help us adapt. And uh, over time, that meets our needs and also um, maybe leads us to the next mm. in different ways, right? So we've seen the reflection room evolve, meeting some needs and then moving to the next needs and to the, and so forth. And so it's like um, um, a pathway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, as you said that I was, one thing I like is that you can write more than one reflection if you want to. And so you're not, um, you can change your mind. You know, what you wanted to write last week might be different than what you want to write today. Um, and, fact, and I'm sorry, go on. I was just going to say, in fact, it seems likely that it would because we change. And our, you know, relative thinking about our experiences change as we change. Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll see. We our involvement from the research center is is looking at the impact in in uh, the one month that it's up. Um, and this project is still ongoing. We're still recruiting um, or opening the invitation to other long term care homes across Ontario. Um, we are also venturing into some hospital settings um, with a focus on um, healing and um, community building. Well, what I was actually going to ask you is, is there is there the potential, I wonder, for this project to create a sort of um, do-it-yourself instructions um, mm. for the creation of reflection rooms um, so that communities that learn about the project and may not be in the next steps of your project specifically might be able to still create such a space and find the benefits for their community even mm. whether even not as a direct part of the reflection room project mm, I like that idea in um in a small virtual way, we have the Reflection Room website where there's an invitation to um, share a reflection and it's, and it's um, captured on, on the website. And um, there's always some ideas about how we might create a more engaging virtual space that's open to everyone. Um, but I like that idea of, um, is it possible to, to gift a, a do it yourself? Mm -hmm. Something I mean, seen when planted. we know this, yeah, when we know something is, is good and works, I mean, 
um, how do we move it out into the world in a way that more people have opportunity to experience it? I mean, that's a big part of what we do here at Grief Stories is look for things that help people when they're grieving and try to move it into the world so it's accessible to more and more people, which sounds very much like what the Reflection Room Project is aiming for. So mm-hmm. um, it's a just, you know, something to to reflect on, we yeah. might say. <laughs> and I guess to your... I like what you um, what you shared about the invitation you give to families to create a sort of a I'll say call it a sacred space, but whatever word works for others. Um, but I guess in the meantime, it might be it might not feel exactly the same. But I wonder about an invitation um, to take these principles to you know. Um, can you find a quiet, create a quiet space? Can you provide room for reflection? Can you write? Who might you share it with? Yeah. It also seems to me that it's an opportunity for communities to deal with collective grief. Those, those, uh, losses, the deaths in a community that impact so many, uh, so many groups of people the more, you know, there's sometimes these more publicized deaths that are and touch so many lives in the community and a reflection room type of response might be uh, uh, an opportunity for healing and coming together in some of that collective grief that Mm. we have similar to what you're finding probably with the results of the pandemic um, related grief in the long-term care homes as you're working there. So it's, yes. The, the the community, like cultivating the connection with experiences of others and healing together is a really big um, takeaway of why people recommend this for others and recommend that it stays. Some people suggested that it be part of memorial services, hmm. um, that it be available to continue to work through loss, especially of your, of your um, fellow residents and, and what that brings up about your um, feelings about your own mortality um, in a long-term care environment. Um, And it also on a broader level, ideally connects with the, um, uh, a public health palliative approach. I think I might be getting that wrong, but there's this idea that, um, um loss affects all aspects of um society and at the moment palliative care is is particularly interested in more of a clinical um individual approach to to healing and care and um and the potential for peer led support in, that's available in schools, workplaces, um, places we gather to to pray, um, community centers. I'm sure the list can go on. Um, what might we be able to do to to really allow communities to, to give them tools to support themselves? Um, because that peer led aspect is is so important Mm -hmm. it seems to me like 
The Reflection Room Project has so many possibilities of helping people and at you know that it's it's um it's really a, a well matched with grief stories which has the same goal uh in a in a in a similar sort of um arena and uh uh so very nice to bring the two projects together and i know that we'll be linking the website for the reflection room on our resources page so people can find more information or explore it themselves and um uh i look forward to um connecting with you in the future to hear about all the great next steps and maybe a do-it-yourself project. (laughs) You never know. Thank you so much for having me on. And um, yeah, it's, it's lovely that we, the two projects have come together. Mm -hmm. Thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the grief stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard. Please remember that grief is universal, but every person's experience of grief is unique. While our interviews are intended to help listeners feel validation and reassurance, we realize that these stories may be different from your own. Please visit our website, griefstories.org, for more stories of hope and healing.